reading today comes from Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. If you would be standing as we read the word of the Lord. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? The word of the Lord. Figured out when the end of the world was going to come. And today is your lucky day because I'm going to share it with you. August the 2nd of 2040. And it was actually pretty easy. You know, I was reading along here in chapter 13, and I came to verse 10, where it says, And the gospel must first first be preached to all. So I got to thinking, okay, well, um, that's easy. You know, once the gospel is preached to everybody, that means the end can come because everybody's heard. So I googled Wycliffe Bible Translators. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Wycliffe Bible Translation Center. But uh, you may have talked about this a little bit in your class this morning if you're in Bible class. But their Wycliffe uh, uh, Bible Translation Center started translating the Bible in 1917 into other languages of the world. And uh, according to their, um, what do you call that, website? Okay, according to their website, there are 1,600 languages that still have no written scripture uh, in them. Okay, that the Bible does not exist in these 1,600 languages, and that does not include uh, sign language. Um, and they have a goal that by uh, 2025, they want to have begun a translation project in each one of these 1,600 languages. Okay, and uh, typically, uh, it takes them from beginning to end, or at least to where they have a portion of Scripture translated in that language depending on the language, depending on its proximity to other languages, uh, all, a lot of factors involved. It takes them 15 years, okay? So I took, uh, their goal is 2025. So if you take 2025 and add 15, you come up with 2040. And then August the 2nd was the date that I happened to figure that out, okay? So you put that on your calendar because August the 2nd, 2040, is when this world is going to come to an end. And if my math is correct, then we have... 22 years and 42 days to get our act together, all right? I have, a, we have a, uh, man, I'm having a hard time with words. What do you call that thing that has the toys in it at the house? Well, I guess it's a toy box. There's something, that, well, no. <laughs> huh? No, it's that, it's that, anyway, it has a bumper sticker on it that says, uh, it says, Jesus is coming, look busy, okay? <laughs> signs, we always want some kind of sign. I like signs, I like street signs. Man, it's nice to have street signs so you can know, uh, you know, where you are, where you're going, uh, where you're trying to get to. Last weekend, we went to see Karis and Ben up in Arkansas and we came through Texarkana right about uh, supper time. And uh, we were looking for the Taco Bueno, 
Well, all you got to do is look for this big, huge sign that stands up straight in the air that says Taco Bueno. And you pull off and you pull in and you get what you want to eat. Uh, I like traveling down the highway and being able to see how many miles are left till the place that I'm going. Uh, one of my favorite ones is on the way back home, uh, somewhere between here and miles. And I, I, I didn't drive out there to double check the numbers, but there's a sign that says San Angelo 17, Big Lake 98. I'm always glad that I'm not going to Big Lake because San Angelo is my final destination. Uh, but signs, we want to know who, when, where, what, and how. We want to be ready. We don't want to be caught off guard. Mark 13, the chapter that we're looking at today that we looked at in Bible class, is referred to by scholars as the little apocalypse. And in contrast to John's book of Revelation, which would be the big apocalypse. Apocalyptic language or eschatology is the study of the last times. It can and typically does refer to the end of the world or to the end of humanity. However, it can also refer to the end of an era or to the end of a dynasty or an empire. Scholars and often the general population, all of us, uh, are often divided in two camps over passages like this one. Or you go back to Daniel chapter 7 through 12, you can turn over to Matthew 24, Luke 21, and obviously the book of Revelation, as to whether they are referring to the actual end of time or maybe just to the end of a time. From what I've gathered by reading and studying this passage, it's not so much about what time it may be referring to, but about being faithful to our calling. Now, typically what we want to do as readers, we want to jump into passages like this, and we do, and then we end up getting lost. But if we just stand back for just a minute and kind of take a look, stand on the edge and sort of take a look at it, we see that the basic structure is just a simple question by the disciples in verse 4. And then this real long, one of the commentators said long-winded, this real long answer by Jesus. Now, if you jump forward to 14.1, says, Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. Okay? So it's a matter of hours before Jesus and his disciples are going to be separated from each other because of what's about to take place because of the events of the cross. Similar to his farewell discourse in John, John 13 through 17, we know that is Jesus' farewell farewell discourse to his disciples excuse me these are Jesus's last words to his disciples before he leaves them but his primary aim is not the communication of dates details or knowledge it's the inspiration that will lead them to calm patient and courageous endurance now while it may seem odd I'm going to propose that he's not trying to scare them Instead, he's attempting to comfort them. If we read this passage and focus on the emotional charge that Jesus is giving to the disciples, we'll see that he's much more interested in disciples whose lives testify to God's sovereign reign in the world than he is in disciples who may pride themselves with the ability to foresee the who or the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how. Five times... Five times in his response to their question, he tells his disciples to see. Some of your translations may translate it, watch out, or beware. 
uh, in verse 2, it's first as a question. He renders it a question. But then in verses 5, 9, 23, and 33, it's a command. Keep watch. Be alert. Don't take everything you see at face value. Don't take everything you see as if the end is now. He really never answers their question directly. Instead, he sets out for them a way to live that doesn't focus all of their attention on the destruction of the temple or the second coming. He's telling them not to just look at, but to look through, look beyond what you see. When we were uh, living in Uruguay, it was common for uh, street vendors to get on the bus uh, or on the buses and they would uh, to sell their product. And uh, they, it was always, they always had this big long spiel about how, you know, this is stuff that we, uh, that the customs agency decommissioned because people were trying to bring it into the country illegally. And so therefore we can give it to you at a very reasonable price. And uh, one day this gentleman got on and he was selling pens. And uh, I saw the, he had the pen, he had a pen and he had this little notepad and you could write on it. And it was a paper mate. It was one of these, and I, look, I looked them up. I had to look up vintage paper mates because they don't make them anymore. But it was the kind with the, it had the black uh, barrel on it and the chrome, the chrome top. And then the, on the clip here, it had the two little hearts, you know, the brand for paper mate. And I, and I got it and he gave me his notepad and he let me write on it. And I wrote, and I said, you know, I want one of these. So I, I took one. It's $2, I think is roughly what it would cost. So uh, he pulls one out of his bag. It's encased in this little plastic and then immediately when I take it out, I don't see two hearts on the little clip. I see two diamonds, okay? And it certainly didn't write like the one that he had in his hand. So what he was doing, it was some kind of knockoff brand that he was trying to pass off as a paper mate. Anyway, with those guys, it was like all sales or finals, no exchanges, no, re, you know, no, no returns kind of thing. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he got off at the very next stop, so I couldn't have probably asked him anyway. But what... what um, what Jesus is saying is just because what you see doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's taking place. Remember back in chapter 8 when we talked, when, uh, we, we talked about the, the man that was blind that he healed and, and the first time around he said, he said can you he put his, eye, I mean, his hands on his eyes and he said can you see and the guy said well yeah I can see people but they look like trees walking around. And then he, uh, so he, again, he proceeded to put his hands on the man's eyes. And then all of a sudden he could see clearer. Okay. That dis- now we know that he didn't falter. We know that he could have healed that guy on the very first try. But who was the miracle for? Okay. This was the only miracle that Jesus did in private. Every other miracle was in public. This one he did strictly with his disciples. The miracle was for them that... Um, to help them see clearer who he was. They had him partially figured out. And, and, and right, right below that, uh, he, Peter's the one that confesses, well, you are the Messiah. And they knew they had figured out that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, but they hadn't put quite two and two together. They weren't seeing the full big picture of what Messiah was supposed to do. So he's asking us, he's saying, you need to look beyond what your preconceived ideas are about me and to see a clearer picture of what God's plan is. So don't accept what you see and what happens as signs of the end of times. We're actually living in the end, of, in the end times. So it's, you know, things are going to happen. There will be a myriad of them, but beware, be alert, and see through and beyond 
the end is not yet. So here in Mark 13, Jesus is not setting up an, an analytical flow chart of the last day, but he's rendering an artistic image of what true discipleship is. So let's look at that for just a minute. Discipleship is a matter of the heart. Disciples of Jesus are not impressed by the superficial grandeur of institutional religion. Now, the temple was to Jerusalem and to Israel, probably what the Statue of Liberty is to the United States, or the Eiffel Tower is to Paris, or maybe was, is the Cactus Hotel to San Angelo, okay? It was a big deal. It was a big thing. It's tempting to be impressed by outward things like buildings, budget, and bodies. Anytime I tell people where my office is or where I go to church, oh, Johnson Street, that's the one with the big steeple. Oh, that's such a pretty building, you know? I know, and that's great. That's great that we have a nice facility. But discipleship is not measured by our accomplishments or our accumulations, what we can touch and see. It's measured by the intangibles, who we are, how we present ourselves to and behave with others. It's an attitude that will not crumble or be spent or gauged by popularity. Discipleship is a matter for today. Disciples of Jesus are not preoccupied with the details of the last days, but with faithful stewardship of the day. We are not to be sensationalized by the coming events of heaven, but are to be resolutely focused on the current events of of earth. It's about reaching out. It's about touching the lives of those who have been affected by illness, loss, gun violence, bullying, racism, and the list goes on. Taking communion to shut-ins, preparing a meal for a funeral luncheon, or working in the nursery, and you can add to that list all the different things that we're involved in. That's what discipleship is about. Focusing on the future detaches us from the present. God's rule is here and now. Something we are a part of and not just something we look forward to. It's about being the hands and feet of Jesus outside our doors and not sitting in here dreaming of heaven's golden glory or its pearly gleam. Disciples of Jesus, uh, sorry, discipleship is a matter of clear-sightedness. Disciples of Jesus emphasize discernment over knowledge. Or, say that a different way, For a disciple of Jesus, knowledge is discernment. So in other words, what we know is we have the grace-given capacity to see clearly to distinguish between the artificial and the authentic. Think of all the cults that have come and gone. Some some maybe still around. Uh, But some are easy to spot. You've got David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. You've got Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Just south of here, we had the Warren Jeffs and the Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. They come preaching a new revelation. They're cunning and sly, and they reel you in before you know what's happened. But Jesus says in verse 23 of this chapter that we know everything that we need to know. He's already told us everything. All has been revealed. We just need to make sure that we use it correctly. Discipleship is a matter of ultimate trust. Disciples of Jesus see God reigning in the midst of earth's tribulation and know that God is sovereign. There will be wars. There will be conflicts, earthquakes, and famine, verses 7 and 8. 
unprecedented distress, verse 19. Cosmic collapse, verses 24 and 25. There will be hurricanes that cripple states and nations. Fires that destroy homes and lands. Kim Jong-ils and Kim Jong-uns that threaten their neighbors and enemies with nuclear weapons. And terrorists who take innocent lives daily because their God told them to. But the end is not yet. The disciple of Jesus can discern and rest in God's sovereign rule. We trust God's promise to take care of us when the situation is most severe. Talk about unprecedented distress. Most of you know what's going on with, with our dear sister Josie uh, with, with, and, and Bob. That you know Her MS has gotten the best of her and uh, he's had to go ahead and put her in a home unprecedented distress I mean you know Bob's been beside himself we've been praying for him but you know how do you deal with that you know that God is in control three times in this passage verses 20 22 and 27 he reassures the elect or the church that's us that despite appearances God still rules the world discipleship is a matter of focused perseverance disciples of Jesus focus on the essential mission of the church no matter what they encounter and there will be plenty to deter and detract us from the mission that we've been called to which is to share the good news of the kingdom if you look at verses 5 through 13 interwoven in through there uh, says you know you will be led astray verses 5 and 6 you will be handed over 9 11 and 12 you will be beaten you will testify to authorities, verse 9. You will be tried, verse 11, and you will be hated. Now, I would venture to say that most of us probably don't identify with any of these. Uh, may be hated, but um, uh, some of you may re re uh, recognize the name or may have known a gentleman by the name of Klein Payton. Klein was one of the first missionaries to go to Italy uh, immediately after the war. And he was not received well. As a matter of fact, he was put in jail. He was, I don't think he was ever beaten. But when it was all said and done, uh, he was deemed a persona non grata and was never allowed uh, to return to the country. Another uh, gentleman who was a missionary, uh, his name was Jim Elliott. Uh, no kin to me that I'm aware of. But um, there was a tribe in Ecuador uh, that he wanted to evangelize. It was the Auca Indians. And these guys were fierce. They had, they, they, uh, this was back in the days of, I think, copper mining and oil and whatnot. And so many people were afraid of these Indians that they were just like, we're not going to go there anymore. Well, Jim Elliott was determined that he was going to go to these people and he was going to, uh, you know, preach the gospel to them. And his desire was that many more would go out and would preach. Well, Jim finally got into or got near to the, uh, to the Oak Indians and they killed him okay um, he longed for more people to become missionaries but in his death he probably inspired more people to go to other countries to share the love of Jesus than he ever could in his life we must not let things get in the way of sharing the gospel because what is important is our steadfast endurance to the end verse 13 discipleship is a matter of humility disciples of Jesus are humble we just finished up a study on Wednesday nights uh, titled Broken in the Right Place. How God uses the circumstances and experiences of our lives to mold us and make us into people that he wants us to be. And humility and servanthood go hand in hand. They should, we should be proud 
to be called servants of God. Disciples are not self-reliant, but they depend upon the Holy Spirit. Verse 11. Disciples trust in the already, and they do not grasp for more. Verse 23. And then disciples are content not to know what only God knows. Verses 32 and 35. Not even the Son or the angels know when the Lord will come back. So who are we to speak up? Authentic disciples suppress their need to possess the high seat in the hall of eternal secrets and are content knowing someone else is calling the shots. Hopefully, we see clearer now. Hopefully, we get the big picture. And we're not caught up in predictions, but to be faithful to the proclamation of the good news. So August the 2nd, 2040, it's a possibility. I'm not going to bet money on it. I'm not going to make bumper stickers to put on the back of my vehicle. The words of Mark 13 are not meant to be stashed away for future use. But they are to be spent immediately to strengthen us today. To arm us against the deceivers. To sustain us in whatever suffering or persecution we may endure. To motivate us to preach the word and to make the message of Christ crucified relevant and relative to our world today. I think we're doing a pretty good job. I think we're pretty well aligned with this picture of discipleship that Jesus is trying to paint here in this passage. But one thing we need to be careful of is that we don't rest on our laurels. We must keep about our mission, which is the good news that Jesus Christ died on our behalf to reconcile us to God. The good news is preached today. The good news is available to all. Today is the day of salvation. I'm not sure where you are. I'm not sure how you're doing in your spiritual life. Obviously, if you haven't accepted uh, Jesus as your Savior, today would be a good day to, 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 to do that, to give your life to Him. But whatever is going on, know that there are people here that want to pray for you, uh, that want to love on you, that want to help you, that want to care for you. Uh, some of our leadership team is going to be standing around the, uh, the edges of this building uh, available for you to go to and for you to, to pray with for whatever your needs may be. So let's do that now as we stand and sing.